Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 778th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today's podcast is a replay of my monthly radio show with Rosie on the House in Phoenix, Arizona. Rosie, Rosie on the House, every Arizona home. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your Arizona Saturday morning tradition since 1988. Here wrapping up the month of October, we're talking urban farming. If you're following along in our annual homeowner handbook, we're talking about save those seeds as a topic today with Farmer Greg. Good morning. Welcome in studio to the broadcast, and you've got a guest with you as well. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm here with Bill McDormand, my uh, longtime friend and uh, seed saver extraordinaire. And saving what seeds? Garden seeds. Oh, yes. Primarily, but all seeds. Yeah. And seed saving is really one of the most productive things that we can actually do in our garden. And w- when I was working the urban farm, I lived there for 32 years right near the studio here. What I would do is I would plant what are called open pollinated seeds and I'd let them go to seed every year. So the carrots, they would just, they'd make carrots. We'd harvest most of the carrots. We'd leave some and let them go to seed and then just spread those seeds around the yard so that what happened over the course of the last 25 years at the urban farm was we developed what we call an old growth food forest where things would just come up. And so at any given moment, I would have 10 or 20 or 30 different things just growing wild in the yard for me to go out and harvest. And what kind of rodent protection? Because when we have our garden, I mean, it seems like you got to bring in cages. And you know, Rosie <laughs> calls it a plant prison to, to protect it all. Or at this point, because you're growing so much everywhere, that's okay if a rabbit gets a little bit here and a little bit there. Yeah, and it, it, it's really on a case-by-case basis, isn't it, Bill? In the urban setting, you probably see less of that than if you're out in the wilds around here. And yeah, some plants are more resistant than others. And plant everything in the beginning, see what works and what the rodents leave you. In some cases, <laughs> that's what you're going to be gardening. I'm not into building prisons. <laughs> yeah. And it's really just man- a management process. You have to jump in and see what you have to deal with. I, most of you all know that I moved to North Carolina. We bought a farm and it's four acres and I've been planting fruit trees. And about six weeks ago, I planted a bunch of fruit trees, and I got up the next morning, and they were completely leafless. (laughs) The deer got to them. Uh, So I mixed up a a tincture of liquid garlic and liquid cayenne pepper, and I just sprayed it on it and on the new ones that we were planting that next day, and the deer left them alone. So it's really just a management process. You have to figure out what you're dealing with, and then you manage from there. But I think the productivity will overcome that management. You can find something that will work. And once you do, you'll have too many seeds. And that's what we're really all about. We've got a great local food movement. We want local food. We know it's fresher. Lots of times it tastes better. It's better for supply chain problems that we had coming through the pandemic. But we don't have local seeds yet. And so if we're going to have a truly uh, resilient 
food economy, we need to have our own local seeds. And what we've discovered is that if you grow and save seeds here, they adapt. They start to change. They go, oh, yeah, we know what it's like to have 120. And they can pass that trait on to their offspring. And so you get things like volunteers. We've all had volunteers. They just seem to do better. They've been through this process. Most of us still bring our seeds in from thousands of miles away, and they're grown in the Northeast. There's a big uh, organic seed company up there that sells a lot of the seeds here to farmers. Some of those are even contract grown in China. So you have no idea where they're being conditioned. So once you start to condition those seeds in your own backyard, you start to see some real gains and real productivity. And then that leads to the big problem. You don't know what to do with them all. And we can talk about that later in the program. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times people email me and say, what do I do with all these seeds now? (laughs) Grow them. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you can probably get enough, as an example, you can probably, if you save seeds out of your own tomato, one that you really love, and we can talk about how to do that. It's really easy. You can probably get enough seeds for your own backyard garden for the rest of your life out of one tomato. And so what's wrong with that idea? Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to punch home for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's how abundant these things are. Yeah. And talk me through the process of sowing a tomato seed. If you're anywhere in the world, in a restaurant or whatever, I was in Rome and you bite into a tomato and you go, oh, that is the best tomato I've ever had. And we've all had that experience. You can just squeeze out a few of the seeds. They're wrapped in a jelly in the cavity in the tomato. On a napkin, put it in your pocket and bring them home and they'll work, okay? That, it's as easy as that. Let them dry Rosie's, out. Rosie's laughing over here, but really, truly, it's that easy. If you want to get a little bit more professional about it, what you want to do is, if you have your tomato, you want to cut it at the equator. So the stems, the North Pole, cut it at the equator, and that'll open up all those cavities. And you can squeeze out this jelly that has all the seeds. And if you put that in a jar, and usually I do two or three tomatoes so I get enough of it. If not, put a little water in there because you want to let it sit for about three days. And if you'll do that, a white bread mold will start to form on the top. And a yeast that is in there already will start to break down that jelly. And what you'll see is that all the good seeds will float to the bottom of your jar and all the phlegm and light seeds that aren't fully developed will float to the top. And then it's just a matter of what we call water winnowing. You just fill the jar with water and it separates things a lot and you can pour out all the bad stuff. Your good seeds are on the bottom. Pour those through a sifter or a strainer and then put that, uh, you can turn that upside down on a paper towel or a coffee filter. And, and let those dry out. And then you've got seeds that have been, it's ironic, but it's what happens in nature. Those seeds are then treated for almost all the known seed-borne diseases a tomato can have. That's what that mold does. There's antibiotics in it. And so you've got professional-grade seeds. You can take them down to a seed library, and there's some in Phoenix now. Oh, yeah. Seed Exchange. You could even start your own little seed company. And we've got hundreds of people doing that, little side businesses, because they've got Grandma Rosie's tomatoes, say, from way back. And now they're making them available to people again. And so it's really a fun process, and it's something we've lost. You go back a couple of generations, almost every gardener and farmer saved their own seeds. 
It was just part and parcel and, of the process. And almost everyone in their own way had a farm or garden. <laughs> exactly. Millions of people were doing this. And because of that, we had a lot of diversity everywhere. Everybody was saving their own, their adapter, their own little ecosystem. And we've lost that. The United Nations figures 90% of the diversity we had in our farms and gardens. As late as 1930, it's gone. It's not being planted anymore. And that diversity is what protects us against change, whether that's new diseases, extreme heat, floods, or whatever. If we have a lot of different things, some of those are going to make it. But if we don't have a lot of things, it's easier for us to get wiped out. And that's part of the motivation behind our great American seed up. Greg and I, almost 10 years ago, said, let's get as many different kinds of seeds into the Phoenix area and teach as many people as possible to save their own seeds again so that we can have this base, genetic base, if you will. It's a living seed bank in this area that we can all share in adapting new things and hedging against the changes that we now see coming at it. They're, they're coming at us, right? And one final thing on the tomatoes. When you got through the process and you put them on a paper right. towel, you let yep. them dry. Let's say I'm planning on saving those. What right. do I then do with them to save them? Uh. Make sure you write down the name. And if you're, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And if you're older like me, write down the year. I've got, I've got these old things stacked up and I go, what year was that? And then put them in a, a, a paper envelope. The best way to store seeds is cool, dark and dry. OK, and we know cool now is below 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That was studies done for our trip to Mars. So most people's homes right. are most under people 80 are just in the fine. summer. And in the Southwest, with the humidity being so low, no problem. If you're Greg in North Carolina, you might want to put them in a jar or something on a dry day so that you don't package them up on a rainy day or a foggy day. And most people will be fine. We used to get 90% germination on tomato seed that was 10 years old in my seed company. They're incredibly resilient. And we just stored them on shelves in, our, in a building. Just never let it get hot. You don't want them in the, don't leave them in your car in the summer. That's probably the worst thing you could do here in Phoenix. Yeah. And 90% germination on one tomato or, or on the seed. One tomato plant will produce how many tomatoes? <laughs> <laughs> and how each tomato could produce 50 to 100 seeds. And so that's what we're talking about. Pretty soon you're going to have a bag of these things and you're going to wonder what to do with them. And there's an anxiety that comes with that. So I don't know what to do. And so, yeah, that's why we're, it helps build community then. Then you start sharing them with your friends. Share one of your tomatoes that tastes really good because you only want to save the ones that are really good. Yep. So take some tomatoes over there and take some of the seeds and share those also. And we can get our whole neighborhoods started again on, on kind of the way it used to be. This is something we should probably go back to. And we can. And yeah. that's what we're here educating and, and we're, and you we're doing on and, and encouraging. We've got yeah. Farmer Greg joining us in studio with Bill McDermott of Rocky Mountain Seed Company. And you guys have your great American uh, seed up going on today. Yes. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things I learned in my – I ran a small seed company for 28 years. And one of the things that I learned is that 90%, more than 90% of the cost of a packet of seeds, go down to Home Depot or whatever and get them is the packaging and the whole system to get them here. The seeds don't cost very much in those packets. So the Great American Seed Up was founded around this idea. We let you package them. We just got big bowls of seeds for well, people. I want to jump in here. Yeah. We, we use popcorn buckets 
in the room. So we've got this room. It's an 8,000-square-foot room and with a bunch of church tables, and each table has three different varieties of seeds on it. And you walk up to the bucket. You pick up the scoop, the designated scoop size. You scoop a scoop of Armenian cucumbers into a plastic bag, and you grab the card that describes it, put it in, and then you mark it on your little cheat sheet and add the date. <laughs> and add the date. There you well, go. And then you... I'd like a I'd like a scoop for the Ben Franklin tree. Oh right, we're talking urban farming. Farmer Greg is in studio with us. Talking about save those seeds, and you've brought Bill McDormand, a returning guest. I remember doing the broadcast live at the Great American Seed Up about six years ago, five six yeah, years ago. Exactly. This is our ninth but, time, I think. And ten, you yeah. have joined us also remotely during COVID from your okay. your haven in Cornville. So we got to see the background on the Zoom screen of your nice little property there in, in beautiful Cornville, Arizona. Boy, what a memory you have. I don't remember that. <laughs> That's better, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty much retired, home, just growing and saving seeds. I'm working on corn in Cornville. I'm trying to find the best tortilla corn oh. for the Verde Valley. That's my goal, and it's going to take a while. But I started with some really good stock I got from Native Seed Search, and it's adapting every year, and I get to pick the colors. It's just great adventure. I highly recommend it. You can learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things is people generally grow your standard vegetables. They don't think about corn and wheat. And that's something that you've jumped in and, and done a lot with the past decade, right? Yeah. I had a young intern who, who came into my office. I was the director at Native Seed Search at the time in Tucson, the seed bank. And, and Evan Sopro came in one time and he goes, Bill, all these seeds are great. And he said, but in the local food that they're providing, he said, but it's all vegetables. He goes, that's icing on the cake. We need the cake. <laughs> and, and I'm going, it took me a while to come up to it, but it turns out about 70 to 80% of all of our calories that we actually eat every day, either directly or through feeding animals that we eat the meat from, come from grains. And we have almost no local varieties of grains or grains being grown locally. And so we started looking into it. And lo and behold, we've discovered some old heritage and ancient grains. We found grains that were brought here by Father Kino 400 years ago that have been adapted to the Arizona desert for 400 years, a variety called white Sonora wheat. And so that need very little inputs, especially in the winter here. This would be the time that you plant them. And so we're trying to get people into this idea of gardening grains. You don't have to have a combine. And that was what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like most Americans probably right. thinking the same thing when you're thinking wheat and corn. You're just these vast rolling hills in the Midwest of the corn and wheat and right. massive combines and harvesting equipment. How much room would I need to grow my own wheat. We oh, had, this is this is good. We had a professor come and help us do a grain school at the University of Colorado, and he actually teaches metallurgy at the Air Force Academy. And he grows his own grains in his own backyard there in the Black Hills outside of Colorado Springs. And he pointed out, Dr. Ralph Bush is his name, he pointed out he gets about seven loaves of bread off 100 square feet. He got his little sickle 
He hand harvests it, threshes it. He's got his own grinder, home grinder. He grinds it into flour. And this is, we call it the fresh flour movement. This is happening in homes all over the country. Because once you taste the bread that comes from your own grain that you fresh ground, it's hard to go back. And this is in Colorado. One of the great things about Arizona is our growing season so much more. So if he's getting... Seven yep. loaves out of a hundred square feet, you could probably expect to double or triple that yield. You could get more, and not at one time, but you could harvest that grain multiple times through the year. And so, grain farmers learned a long time ago you can stack functions, right? So, I plant my grain just after I harvest all the other vegetables in my garden October, November, December. It grows through the winter, it's ready to harvest in May or June. And I'll actually plant tomato and pepper plants in and among the grain plants before I harvest it, three to four weeks. And then I'll chop the tops off the grain because that's what I want. And that'll kill the plants. And then the other stuff just comes right up and it's already mulched. It's already cover cropped. It's just this wonderful sort of rotation. So that answered the question I was yeah. trying to get to is wheat is a one-time harvest a year. It's not right. if you cut it, it doesn't come back. Okay, so right. I was wrong about that. But we're, we're growing – we've got a 1,000-year-old barley that um, came from 10,000 feet in Tibet that we found. We're growing einkorn, which ein means one, corn, K-O-R-N, means grain, the first grain. It's a 14,000-year-old wild grass with about 17% more protein, lots more minerals and vitamins. It's a superfood in a way. And we're finding that people that eat the ancient grains have left stomach problems. This is a general trend that we're seeing emerge. And so people with gut problems, the gluten aisle in the store, they're going back to the ancient grains and they're finding that they can eat wheat again. So it's exciting. Before we get to the next talking point, which I really like, the five easiest seeds to save the Great American Seed Up. When you walk into the room at the Great American Seed Up, you're going to be greeted by our greeting crew, and you can you can just show up if you want to harvest your seeds today, and they'll explain the process that we go through, and then you walk into this the right half of this 8,000-square-foot room with, dare I say, hundreds of popcorn buckets in it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, seed scoops, and the energy in the room is palpable because it's like Christmas for gardeners, right? You you go into this space, and it's just magical. So you should come down and check it out for nothing else for that reason. When I went through last year, what really fascinated me was how many different varieties of each vegetable there were. The amount, the, the carrots, the lettuces, the tomatoes, it was... You know, that of itself was just an education of all the different varieties. But then it's always so funny to me, like, the what seed goes to what plant? You never look at it and you think, oh, yeah, that's definitely a, this seed or that seed. Sometimes you get these big seeds. And that, Is that really it? <laughs> <laughs> that's the interesting thing, I, I think. And that's how we learn. We all know what a corn seed looks like. But do you know what a artichoke seed looks like? Probably not. Yeah. It's a discovery. And going into the garden, that's one of the things we do is people ask me, how do I learn to grow things? You get some seeds or you get a plant start and you plant it and see what happens. I had a friend of mine at the urban farm maybe 20 years ago, and he came in the front yard and he said, oh, that's how broccoli grows. (laughs) He thought it grew underground. 
And so we just have to go and experience that. And that's really what we're after at the Urban Farm and at Cornville Seeds and at the Great American Seed Up is just to get you out there experiencing what it looks like to grow food and to be in nature. Go out and have fun. It'll make you feel better. It, it just will that part, make probably. You feel yeah. Yeah, I've, it took about 40 years I've been in the seed business to put together the sources for these seeds so that we can have over 100 different varieties there because we need to buy in bulk. We're going almost direct to the farm. We're getting them from the guy who actually brings them in, cleans them, and bags them up. So this is as close as you can get to the source. And so for us to get enough to pull off the seed up, We've got to, we had to search around, and it's taken quite a while to do that. But if you come, you'll see old France. If you've gardened, you'll see scarlet nonce carrots. You'll see black-seeded Simpson lettuce. These are what we call the great land races. These are the things that were left over from that golden era in the 30s, things that were widespread because they worked almost everywhere they went. Uh, black-seeded Simpsons in a catalog I saw that's more than 100 years old in France. Somebody figured out this lettuce was just so good. And so that's why we keep good things around. And you can walk in and get seed for it here and learn how to save your own. And it, by the way, is one of the easy ones. Lettuce. Just let it bolt and go to seed. It'll have these little parachutes on it. Underneath each little parachute is a, a hard black seed. Whammo. You don't even have to bring them in. Lettuce is an easy one. Let it blow around your yard. Let it come up the next year. We're not talking a big investment in time and energy here to get involved in the seed part. Yeah. That segues into the, <clears throat> the five easiest seeds to save. It, was, it sounded like lettuce was definitely on top, uh, based on your description yes. just now, yeah. was one of those five. It is. Well, and we explained tomatoes a little while ago. That's the hard one. And you it's, said that it sounded easy. pretty easy. To, well, and exactly. it's still on the easy list. So it's uh, tomatoes, peppers, peas, beans and lettuce. And the reason we picked those five out is that almost everybody likes to grow them anyway. They're very popular, but they're what we call self-pollinating flowers. You don't have to get into genetics and understand a lot. It's not, it doesn't have to be complicated to save seeds. It does if you're an industrial farmer and you need uniformity and predictability in your crops. But home gardeners, we actually, we like diversity. If some of the tomatoes are ripe now and some next week and some, who cares? That's better, actually. And so we don't have to worry about any of those rules. All, the only rule you need if you're going to save your own seeds is um, save from the ones you really like. And that way you'll make things better every year in your garden. And so those five, you don't have to worry about cross-pollination. You don't have to worry about anything coming in and contaminating. They're going to be okay. Well, and I love this story that you tell about a woman that walked into Native Seed Search once looking for beans to plant. Why don't you tell that? <laughs> yeah, they were, it's a yellow bean from Mexico. And she, we sold both the beans in big packages, five-pound packages, so people could take them home and cook them. But we also sold the seed packets. And she had the five-pound packet of beans, and she brings it up to the desk, and she goes, I, I didn't see the seeds for these. Where do I get the seeds? And we're going, <clears throat> those are the seeds. <laughs> and I think we forget this. The beans and peas are easy. They are the seeds. Yeah. Lettuce, little things up the top. Tomatoes, I, we talked about how you squeeze out the gel. And peppers, just let them dry out and get the seeds. Nothing could be easier. Now... I've started to make potatoes before. Yeah. And just with an existing potato. Is a potato just a big seed itself? Because you can cut it, 
stick it in the ground and it roots and grows. No, potatoes are interesting, and it's a good lesson for us. They're actually in the tomato family, and they have flowers that look a lot like tomato flowers, and they have little fruits that look like little teeny tomatoes, and inside those are seeds. The problem is— If you've ever let them go too long in your pantry, you know exactly what Bill's talking about. (laughs) Or in your yard, if you forget to harvest a potato or whatever. The problem is, if you planted those seeds, you wouldn't get the same kind of potato— They've been, they've probably been crossed or will represent a different set of genetics. The only way to make sure that you get the same potato year after year is to plant either a part of that potato or one of them in your garden. And that's how we do potatoes. We need, industry needs that uniformity and predictability. And so that's what they do. If you want to have fun at home, let them flower and go to seed and plant some of those seeds and see what you get. There are literally thousands of varieties of potatoes out there. And you may get a little red one, a big purple. You don't know what you're going to get. But I always call that Mr. Toad's wild ride. When you're bored a little bit of your garden and you want to take a real ride, start saving seeds from things that you can't predict. And it's mind-blowing sometimes what happens. Yeah. And I I had something very interesting happen at, at my new farm in North Carolina. We, when we moved there, I immediately started worm composting. And so we took all of our kitchen scraps and put them in the worm bin. And this past summer, I harvested those worm castings, the worm poop, and I put it in every fruit tree hole that I planted. And we had over 50 different tomato plants come up in the rows of the fruit trees. (laughs) But the, and the interesting thing about it was they were different kinds of tomatoes. Kinds of tomatoes that we'd never eaten See. before. See. We had hybrid tomatoes that we obviously got at the grocery store, and they went. The seeds went into the compost bin, and they start to dehybridize. And it was Mr. Toad's wild ride. It was. We had watermelon tomatoes, both the baseball size ones and the quarter size ones, and we had teardrops and yellows. We must have had fifteen different tomato varieties that came up in these <laughs> rows. It was wild. Wow, that's a great story. And how much worm casting did you put in each tree? Because uh, it, well, t- it takes a long time to, to accumulate a mass of worm castings. Yeah, we should next year we should do a whole gig on this with Zach from Arizona Worm Farms. But I was putting you know, maybe a cup in each hole because that's all I had. And like I said, over 50 tomato plants came up in my rows of elderberries and stone fruit, and it it was fun. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's like sourdough starter, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in your cup of stuff. So you don't need that much to inoculate your soil around the tree. Is that what you're really doing there? Exactly. So the worm castings have all kinds of good mycorrhiza and good bugs and things. And so we're just inoculating each tree planting hole with it. And you don't have to cut those down that even though they're coming up in your tree because a, a tomato plant's not going to be something that's going to compete with your tree. So Exactly. That's, they just work hand in hand. That's pretty cool. Bonus yeah. extra credit, we call that. So what I did with them all, we were harvesting for the past couple of months, we've been harvesting five to eight pounds every other day. I just put a table on the road out in front of our house and put Heidi and Greg's free organic tomatoes, take them, and I made a lot of friends that way. Wow. Now, back to the seed question on saving. There was a, a process of for the tomatoes of right. getting the gel out, and you were talking the other beans, peppers. Is 
I don't remember. There's not that kind of gel in the pepper no, or mm-hmm. the beans. So no. how is that a different process, or is there a certain point in maturity of the plant that is your telltale sign? Okay, now's the time that these can be harvested for next season. For the beans and peas, you just let them dry on the vine. Okay. Once they're dry on the vine, I harvest them and crack them open. And those little pods that they're in will start to crack. And so if you really want to time it, you would just get them right as they start to crack. Yeah. If it if your season gets cut short, if there's a hurricane coming or something it's going to happen, um, you can always pull the whole plant, shake the dirt off the roots, and hang it up in your garage or on a patio or something and let them finish drying. And so that's one way to do both of those. Same with peppers you can do. Let them dry as much as you can on the plant. If you open up some of your pepper, peppers later and there's mold in them, and that happens sometimes, what I've learned to do is just I get a knife and I'll slice the pepper open just down one side so it opens up a little and air can get in there. I leave it on the, the vine. It dries. It looks just like all the others. But then those seeds will dry without molding. And so that's some people, you can get around that problem. But other than that, you want that good golden pepper seed color that comes from leaving them on the vine as long as possible. These things are intelligent beings. They know what they're doing. And it's lots of times just a matter of learning from them and watching. And this is the craft of seed saving. You'll learn this as you do it. And there's no matter of what we could tell you to begin with, but you'll probably be successful even your first time with some of it, yeah. and you'll get better as you go on. And it's, it's so simple. Final segment here in the Outdoor Living Hour, talking Save Those Seeds with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. And Bill McDormand, your website is seedsave.org. But most importantly, for this weekend, you've got the Great American Seed Up. If you're listening to this on the podcast, just know keep follow either one of those websites for information on next year, because this is your 10th year. This is our ninth year. Ninth year. year. So next year will be the 10th year. Yeah, next year will be our 10th year, and it's greatamericanseedup.org is where you can find it. And here's the cool thing. If you're listening to this on the podcast, we, when the pandemic hit, we had to figure out, uh uh-oh, how do we get seeds to people? So Bell, Bill's wife, came up with this idea called the Seed Up in a Box. So we've actually put together this screaming deal on a bundle of seeds. So you can check that out, too. People get bulk amounts in a bag and then all the stuff to do their own packaging. Yep. And it's all bundled up. And so you can do your own mini seed up. So the idea that, again, the expense is in the packaging. So we don't want a package. That's why we got into this. And so you can actually buy a bundle and do that with your own Neighborhood community. group, community, church groups. It's really a – or for survival. Some people just buy the bulk because they want to put it in their basement just in case. Yeah. We've got one guy out of Oklahoma that a couple times a year he buys a bundle and has a potluck at his house, and they all come together, and they eat food and package seeds, and then they all go home with 25 different packages of seeds. That's cool. And You're talking survival because these seeds will last you – yeah, decades probably. Cool, dark, and dry. Yep. Yeah. Cool, dark, and dry. And and, and it may not even be for survival. You want to get into it. Uh, you can go, because it's really easy to go through the Great American Seed Up and end up with more seeds than you know what to do with. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got good 
organic seeds from the Great American Seed Up. Right. They're not organic because that's a designation from the government, but they're healthfully grown. Let's put it that way. A lot of these farmers who are seeing this more and more, especially around seed, just don't want to go through the bureaucratic hassle of getting it certified. But they're great people. And we, we try to find the authentic stuff the best we can. And again, if you really uh, are stickler for certified organic, get some of our seeds, grow them out organically yourself, and then make them available. And that way we can start to transition everything into certified organic, which is what I personally believe in. Yeah. We, we want to get to that point someday. So when people arrive, they'll walk into this room. We mentioned that earlier. And one of the things, Rosie, you mentioned this, one of the things is the sheer amount of seeds that you get for a scoop. I was looking at, I was looking at corn today and I think it was a quarter cup of corn and it was $2 or something like that and that is at least five times what you would get in a four to six dollar packet of seeds. So by joining us today, you're going to get education because the entry cost includes all kinds of classes that we've given over the time and it's all online. So you can go visit that. So you get education and then you get this amazing seed selection that when you go through the space, if you spend, let's just say, $40, you probably have enough seeds to last you the rest of your life. <laughs> really. Well, this, we designed the scoop sizes so you get four to five times as much as a normal packet. And it's a, uh, for many of them, it's a buck a scoop. Yeah. And so that's you can spend $5 now on a packet of lettuce in a lot of the catalogs. I or mean, I, I, bought, I recently bought a specialty basil, and there must have been 25 seeds in the packet. It was $3.99. Wow. Yeah. And, and 3 bucks 99 cents does doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're getting 50 varieties of seeds, that adds up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you guys have hundreds of varieties. We have eight different grains now. We've got probably eight different herbs. I'm just yeah. speaking off the top. We've got pollinators. We've got wildflower seeds that you can put in and around to help create a healthy and beautiful garden around you. And so it's yeah. not just the vegetables, but it's we're expanding. We do every year somebody gives us an idea for something else and we try to add them in. And most of all, it's fun. It's like, for, for all your gardeners out there, this is Christmas come again. It's just sizzling fun. When you walk into the room, you can feel the energy in the room. It's just massive. <laughs> and this is like nothing else in the world. Give that website one more time. GreatAmericanSeedUp.org Farmer Greg, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us and bringing along with you Mr. Bill McDormand, SeedSave.org. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.